But uh, after high school, you know, I was one of those uh, kids that, you know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do uh, with my life. And so, you know, I enrolled at the local community college and I took, some, uh, you know, the basic business administration courses just to kind of get a feel for what's out there and, and, and eventually ended up, you know, uh, going the the way of an accountant. You know that I've uh, previously practiced accounting uh, before I trained to be a gospel preacher. Um, and my first job out of college, I was working at a civil engineering uh, land surveying firm right on in Holland, Michigan, a be- beautiful town right on the lakeshore. It, it was a great job. And uh, within our uh, our company there that was located in Holland, we had about, you know, about 60 employees and probably, you know, 55 of them were on one side of the building. They were the engineers, they were the technicians, they were the land surveyors. And on the other side of the office, there were, you know, five to six of us was uh, the, the corporate office, uh, the president, the, the HR director, the, the accounting director, and myself and a few other peoples. And, you know, they had a name for us, uh, you know, the people on the other side of the building. We were known as the, the necessary evils. Uh, because, you know, a business, you know, can't run with, uh, without these things. They're not vital to the success of the corporation, but, you know, you can't run an effective business uh, without, without, you know, HR and marketing and accounting. But, you know, working in the corporate office, you know, I got to experience, uh, you know, the HR department. I sat right across from her, and so I, I heard a lot of the conversations that were going on, and, you know, there were times where I had to pitch in and help, and you know, I'd have to go into a personnel file every once in a while, and you know, I'd learn the things that were in there. You, you know, you'd find resumes and and um, re- letters of references and um, background checks and fingerprinting documents and disciplinary write-ups and resignation letters. You know, as you'd search through these things, and we understand that that to run a business, you know, there's a lot of paperwork involved. There's a lot of paperwork involved that, that you have to go and sit down as you are you know, being hired by a company and you've got to fill out a lot of different things. And, and they keep those in those personnel files, you know, locked up safe and no one can get to them. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, we're going to notice something. Uh, as Paul is giving us his background of his former life in Judaism, he's going to give us, uh, again, an example of his own personnel file. And I want you to notice as we go through that these that Paul in verses 4 through 6 is going to reference his resume. He's going to list off thing after thing that he'd done in his former life. And then in verses 7 and 8, he's going to give his resignation letter. We're going to notice his resignation letter that, he, that he's going to give. And then finally in verses 9 and 11, we're going to see his letter of references. This is a, a document that uh, is important because uh, you know, it's going to, someone's going to vouch for you. And so as we get into the reading, let's look at verses 4 through 6 in Philippians chapter 3. That Paul says here, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. And so Paul is Paul here is giving his resume. You know of course you know a resume is that document that you 
you know, you give to a prospective employer saying, look, these are the good parts. Um, these are good things that I want you to know about me. And, you know, maybe we're going to neglect the negatives. You know, we're not going to put those things on there. Like maybe, you know, I'm tardy for work every once in a while. But, but you're going you're gonna to highlight the good things about you. You want them to notice about you to hire you. It's a very personal letter. It's a very personal document. And Philippians chapter 3 is a very personal uh, chapter for Paul. He's going to use uh, the pronoun I at least 15 times. You know, I did this. I did that. It's very personal to him. And he reminds them, if we were to look into verses uh, 1 through 3, that there were some Judaizing teachers. There were those in this area who were trying to bring the old law uh, back into Christianity. And he refers to them as dogs, evil workers, the false circumcision. And Paul's saying, listen, don't listen to those Guys, don't listen to them. It's me who you need to listen to. You, you can put my resume up against theirs any day, and you're going to find that you know, I have more grounds for boasting than they do. You know, I'll put my resume up against them any day. They, they've got nothing on me. And he starts to list his qualifications uh, as to his new life. Uh, and it's like he's counting them on his finger. You know, one, two, three. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. Of course, circumcision in the Old Testament was that covenant between God's people and God. It was that sign of the covenant. The, uh, the law of Moses stated that Jewish boys were to be circumcised on the eighth day. Right? It had to be on the eighth day, uh, this cutting away of the flesh. And we know that throughout Scripture there were individuals who uh, were not necessarily circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, Ishmael, who, who was uh, one of the other sons of Abraham through Hagar, he, he was circumcised when he was 13 years old, we're told, in Genesis chapter 17. And also proselytes, individuals who converted to Judaism, uh, they would have been circumcised at the point that they became proselytes when they were converted. And so it happened uh, throughout uh, their days. But the point Paul's trying to make here is that I was circumcised the eighth day. I was circumcised according to the law. That makes me, that makes me a Jew, uh, a true Jew. And then he says, of the nation of Israel. Again, uh, not a proselyte, but he's from the stock of Israel. And the Jews, as we've talked about before in the past, they put so much stock into genealogies. It's important for them to know who their father and their grandfather and their great-grandfathers are. You know, maybe it's not so much in our culture. You know, I know my parents. I know my grandparents. I know a little bit about my great-grandparents. But other than that, you know, I really don't know. Uh, and it's really, it's not as important to me as it was to them. You know, I, I guess I could sign up for, you know, one of those programs, the, the, the Ancestry.com or something like that, and go back and search. But it's, you know, in our culture, maybe it's just not as prominent to us. But Paul is saying here, I was born into this nation. I was born into this nation. My parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents were Jews. And then he says, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin wasn't the largest tribe in Israel of the 12 tribes, but they were distinguished among the others. King Saul, the first king of Israel, came from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, they remained loyal to David when, the, when the, the 12 tribes split. Ten went to the north and two stayed in the south, and that would have been Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin stayed loyal to David, stayed loyal to Judah. And, of course, the, Jerusalem, the temple, was located within the boundaries of Benjamin. This tribe is a, a tribe that is distinguished among the, 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 the Jews. Paul says, I have a proud tribal history. Again, he's listing one thing after another uh, of his life in Judaism. And then he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
Now, Paul, of course, before he was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. And Tarsus is some 350 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Uh, But even then, being that far away from Jerusalem, his family continued in the Jewish customs. And again, Paul is saying, I am authentic. I am genuine. I am the real deal. You know, it doesn't get any better than me. And then uh, he starts to list off at the end of verse five, his religious affiliations. He says, as to the law, a Pharisee. And of course, the Pharisees were the strictest sect of the Jewish religion. And if we know anything about that time period, uh, he was educated under one of the greatest teachers of the Pharisees, a man who is respected by all the peoples, Gamaliel. We can read about him in Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 22. And, and what Paul's here saying is this, is I studied under this man. I studied under Gamaliel. I'm a Pharisee. Uh, you know, if you're a sports fan, uh, you know, especially, you know, college ball or, or even professional sports, when you go to hire a coach, what do you want to know about him? What is one of the first things you want to know about him? You want to know about his coaching tree. Uh, you want to know who he studied under, who he coached under, who he learned under. You know, probably Nick Saban is probably has one of the most famous coaching trees right now in college football. People, uh, when they go to look to hire a college football coach, they want to hire someone who worked under Coach Saban. Because he's won all these national championships. He knows how to win. And so they go and look and find you know, a coach that worked under him. He's part of his coaching tree. And again, you know, this is Paul. Right? Paul studied under one of the greatest teachers in the Pharisee uh, tradition of Judaism, Gamaliel. He was a Jew's Jew. And as we get into verse 6, he says, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul was zealous. He was zealous. He was vehemently passionate against Christianity. And he was, his, he was the ringleader who, who, who started to persecute uh, the church from Stephen in Acts, at the end of Acts chapter 7 all the way to his conversion. Right? He, he was going out and, and throwing them in prison, locking them up. And when he saw that there was this, this, um, this threatening uh, sect of, of Christianity uh, against Judaism, he took action. Right? He just didn't talk, but he took action. Uh, in Acts chapter 26, verses 9 and 11, when he was recounting his life uh, in the past, he said that he would lock up the saints, that he would cast his vote against them, that he tried to force them to blaspheme, and he pursued them from city to city. And we see that Paul, he was passionate about getting rid of this Christianity. He, he was a persecutor of the church. And then he says, as to the righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. You know, again, not that he was perfect, not that he was sinless, but that no one could put a charge against him. No one could accuse him of anything in this life. He knew and practiced the rules that the rabbis would have. He had a marvelous record. It was like if Judaism was a test, he scored a hundred on it. He was blameless. But listen, as impressive as Paul's resume is to the Jew, and again, if you were to hire someone, you know, 9.9 times out of 10, you're going to hire Paul. When you look at his resume that he had in Judaism, you're going to hire this guy. But Paul's going to say in this next section that all of these things fail. They fail in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. And so as we move on from Paul's resume, we're going to notice that Paul is going to give his resignation letter to Judaism, to his resignation letter to the world and say, I want to follow Christ. Look at verses seven and eight. Paul continues, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Again, as we understand resignation letters, those are letters that we give to our employers, letting them know that you know, we're leaving their services. You know, usually we'll give them a two weeks notice that, you know, that we're changing jobs, we're changing locations. You know, it's a courtesy thing to give a resignation letter. And as Paul begins here in verse 7, he says, Whatever things were gained to me, I've counted as loss. And this word gain here, it's interesting in the Greek, it's actually a plural word. He's saying whatever things are gains. And not only is it a plural word, but it's a, it's a business term. It's an economic term. He, he's saying in the business world, he's saying whatever I used to count as profits, I now count as loss. You know, again, if we were to think in the business aspect of things, you know, he was taking some things that were assets to him. You know, the, on a balance sheet, you'd have assets, uh, things that are, uh, you know, important to the company, like cash or vehicles or buildings or things like that. And what he's saying is, I took those things and I wrote them off. I wrote them off by balance sheet as uncollectible. And that's not how you run a business. We understand that. That's not how you run a business. But he says, Whatever things were gained to me, whatever things were profit to me, those things I have now counted as loss for the sake of Christ. His prestige among the Jews, you know, that political power he had, that recognition, his religious devotion. These things he has now counted as loss. And look at verse 8. Verse 8 is a very interesting verse because he says, More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You notice that he says, now he counts all things, not, not just his past, but now all things. And this is a, uh, again, in the original language, it's a present tense verb, meaning that he's continually counting the loss. It's not something that he just made a decision back one day, but he is continually counting these things as loss every day as he goes on. And he says there, as we finish verses eight, he says, uh, for whom I have suffered the loss for all things and count them but rubbish. So that I may gain Christ. Um, it's repulsive to him now. It's filth. If you're reading out of the King James Version, the King James Version actually translate that word dung. It's dung to him. Hugo McCord, uh, Brother Hugo McCord, who had a translation of the Bible, he, he, uses the tra- he uses the word garbage. I count all of these things as garbage in view of knowing Christ. And it wasn't that these things on his resume were no more valuable to him, but that he was disgusted by them at, at being compared to the riches he now knows in Christ Jesus. As we think of Paul's words here, as he's throwing these all away, throwing these great accomplishments away in the eyes of the world, what are you and I willing to lose for Jesus? What are you and I willing to resign to the world? See, again, Paul lost his position in the Jewish hierarchy, his good standing among his countrymen and his friends and family. He went from being one of the most beloved men among the Jews to one of the most hated. You know, we can imagine how this must have affected his family relationships. His family probably regarded him as a disgrace to the Judaism. Uh, His fellow Pharisees considered him a deserter from the cause. The Jews in general regarded him as a renegade. Right? Remember, this man studied under Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers, and now he's following Christ? See, the world doesn't understand that statement that Paul makes there in verse 7, that I count all my gains 
as loss. Now that I know Christ, I count all my gains as loss. You know, when we attend, you know, Wednesday evening services or Sunday services and our, our, our families and friends uh, might wonder why we're doing that over, over a family function. You know, it's because I count all my gains as losses. You know, now that I know Christ and I know uh, the value in knowing Christ, that's most important to me. You know, when you're away, maybe at a conference, again, talking about a, a business type setting and, and, you know, your coworkers are going out for a night on the town, but you stay home. Right? They don't understand why. They don't understand this statement here that Paul makes that I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I have counted all those things. Th- those things no longer mean anything to me, but my relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing him, knowing his will for me in this life. Paul prayed. He paid the price for Christ's sake. Uh, But to him, it was worth the price. He had no regrets. Again, he handed his resignation letter into the world and to Judaism and said, I'm leaving. I found something better. And then notice, finally, we're going to notice in verses 9 through 11, Paul's reference letter. Let's read verses 9 through 11. It says, And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And again, our reference letter, you know, usually you give to a prospective employer saying, listen, these are people who know me. These are people who can vouch for me. You know, go ahead and call them and they'll, they'll tell you uh, what a good employee I can be. And Paul's saying here in these verses, especially at the beginning of verse 9, and may be found in him, if I have gained Christ, I have gained his approval. Right? He is my reference. I want to be found in him. And Paul wanted to make Christ his permanent address, to be absorbed completely into his nature and the work and the fellowship and presence of Christ. And he says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul's saying no longer, no longer am I dependent upon any of the self-achieved righteousness of the law. Those things that I listed off in my resume. But now it's a genuine righteousness. It's based on faith in Christ. It refers to being counted as right in the sight of God. No longer about the approval or the references through the law of Moses but from an obedient faith under the new law. And in verse 10, he says that I may know him. Paul is saying, I want to know him. I just don't want to know about him. I want to know him. I want to experience him. It's not just a book knowledge, but it's an experiential knowledge that Paul wants to know. Not just learning about Christ, but desiring a close relationship to him. And in verse 10, and the power of his resurrection. Uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that he was declared the Son of God, being Jesus. He was declared being the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And Paul wants to experience. He wants to know about this power. And then he says, and the fellowship of his suffering. He, the, the, this fellowship word, this word fellowship means to participate, to, to partake. And no one, no one in this life can fully fully understand, fully know Christ unless he is shared in his suffering. You know, there was a bumper sticker that you may have seen 
uh, long ago, or maybe you've seen you know, a meme floating around on, on the internet that, that would say, saved to serve. Right? And that's a great theme. It's a great message that you were saved to serve. And that's great. And it's truthful and, and it's biblical, scriptural. But how many of us would over that bumper sticker or, over, or post a meme saying, saved to suffer? Oh, would you plaster over on your car a bumper sticker that said save to suffer? You know, we don't often uh, refer to that. We often don't think about that, that that is part of the Christian life. And you know, Paul said in Galatians chapter six, verse 17, that I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. And he's talking about all of those things that he had persecuted or all those things he had been persecuted about in this life. The stonings, the beatings, the whippings that he had taken and he bore those brand marks on his body. What a reference Paul had. Right? Christ was his reference. Though suffering for Christ, Paul came to understand more clearly what the Lord had suffered for him. And he came to know Christ better. And then he said, being conformed to his death at the end of verse 10. You know, becoming like him in death. To be in harmony with. And our greatest desire in this life is to be like him. It's not to be like our favorite athletes or our favorite actors, but it's to be like Christ, to imitate Christ in this life. You know, we often sing a hymn, Jesus is all the world to me, right? What a great hymn that is. What a great message that is, that we want to imitate Christ in, the, in this life. And we want to be conformed to his death. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. In order, in verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And right here, friends, this is the grand finale. This is what it's all about. This is the consummation of the whole process of redemption outlined here in verse 11. That I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. See, attaining to the resurrection from the dead through our obedient faith is the Christian's ultimate determination in this life. Knowing Christ in this life, having him as our reference Having him on our, our letter of references, it's the only one we need. And knowing Christ in this life leads to knowing Christ in the next life. Friends, there is a cost associated with being a Christian. We understand that. And Paul, he had a pretty extensive resume. Yeah, he discovered that without Christ, his resume could not get him into the greatest destination possible which is heaven, which is a home with our Lord and Savior. So in order to do that, Paul had to make a decision. He had to give up those things in the life that he held as high, in high regards. And he had to give a resignation letter uh, to Judaism, to his former life, and say, I'm leaving. It's no longer about this anymore. All of my accolades, all of my advantages, all of my gains in this life that I once counted as profit, I now count as loss. I count them now as rubbish. Right? I place them in the trash can. And Paul, by knowing him, now he has the ultimate reference. He has the ultimate reference in Christ, and he wants nothing more than to know him and attain to this resurrection from the dead. And I hope that each and every one of us, when, when that day comes, when that day comes, when we stand before God in the judgment, and when he goes and opens up our own personal fi personnel files, our own spiritual personnel files, that he's going to find these files or these letters in them. That he's going to find the resume of a Christian. That he's going to find this resignation letter that we gave to the world. And said we no longer want to be part of this. But we want to be followers of Christ. 
and that he finds a reference letter with the only name on it that matters, and that's Christ Jesus, that Christ knows me and I am in him, and that's my reference. This, this morning, if we can help you in any way this morning as, as we close this lesson, um, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, is it time? Is it time to put on Christ on in baptism and become a Christian, become a member of his church? You know, the Bible tells us that to become a Christian, we need to hear the word of God and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of our sins, confess Jesus is Lord, and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, God will add you to his church. And, add, and, and we can't stop there, but that's the beginning. Right? That's the beginning of our walk in Christ. And we're going to, from that point forward, live a faithful life for him. We, we've given that resignation letter to the world. And now we've got Christ as our reference. We all want that. And if we can help you with that this morning, we would love to do that. Or if you're here this morning and you're struggling as a Christian, you're struggling and maybe the world's pulling you back in. And you need the prayers of this church for strength. You need the strength of the brethren here to pray for you, to, to uplift you, to encourage you. Again, we would love that opportunity. There's no better time than now to do that in front of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Won't you come forward now as we stand and sing this song of invitation?